0: Now, in the past few weeks, we've listened to and we've learned from the sermons on the parables of Jesus. It's been over quite a few weeks, and I want to promise you I won't go over all of them today. (laughs) But I do believe it is important to put into context our readings for today. So last week, the parable was, which is the greatest commandment of all? And if you will recall, it was a Jewish lawyer that was asking Jesus this question. And Jesus' answer to him was this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now we've heard and we've learned that these questions being posed to Jesus that prompted the telling of the parables were not asked because of a real interest or an honest desire to have an answer or to have wisdom. They indeed were deliberately and coldly calculating questions meant to challenge him, to test him, to catch him between a rock and a hard place. They were meant to expose him. They were meant to discredit him. They were meant to shame him. And I'm sure we've all gotten it. The leaders and teachers of the day were jealous. They were feeling threatened and they were envious because he was gaining a following by his radical teaching. And they were not going to allow this itinerant preacher to usurp their position. They were the priests and teachers after all. They held the places of honor. They were in the high places. They were a cut above the common. They held stature and standing, and no one was going to be allowed to unseat their position, not even Jesus. Now, we also know that Jesus confounded all their efforts to put him in his place, which caused them great consternation. Last week's parable sealed the deal. Jesus' answer to what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the question he asked them, which was, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? they said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? It stopped them dead cold. They couldn't answer. And they also realized there was no way no question that they were going to be able to ask him that would put him in his place. So they left determined to never ask him another question. Now the Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees were so caught up in their pride, they were not living holy lives, and they were not teaching the pure law. They were in fact perverting it and monumentally failing the people. Scripture says that Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. And what we read is this. They sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you, observe. But not do not do according to what they do, for they say one thing and they do another. He accuses them of making a call to holiness and yet do not hold themselves to that same standard of holiness. By virtue of their position and rank, they think of themselves as being superior, expecting to be treated with high esteem and great honor, and may I say it, the honor due to God alone. They covet Recognition, seeking adulation, their favorite word, I. Jesus is surely saying their arrogance and superior attitude is offensive. In trying to trap him, they have exposed themselves. Their self aggrandizement and their contempt towards Jesus bring Jesus' indictment against them. He says, woe to you. Now, what have they done? Why this serious and harsh judgment? He calls them hypocrites. In other words, they have acted deceitfully. They require piety, yet they do not practice sincere or true piety. In fact, theirs is a false piety, and it builds walls between God and his people instead of bringing the walls down. Instead of being an example by word and deed, they have bent the commandments to their own advantage. They are liars, making the act of keeping the letter of the law without the heart intent of righteousness as the measure of. obedience. They are sanctimonious. They are smug. Their leadership and teaching is beyond inadequate. Instead of drawing the people to the worship of God, they virtually slam the door for their efforts. And if there is no repentance, they receive condemnation. This is not the way it was supposed to be. From Paul's own words in our reading today from 1 Thessalonians, he says, As we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. From the beginning, to lead and teach, to make disciples, To put before the people a holy God to be worshiped and obeyed is a high calling given by God. Anyone placed in that position, like that of the Pharisees and the scribes, it was never intended to make them feel or act as privileged, to puff themselves up, to be superior to assume an exalted position demanding that they be blindly obeyed. It is to realize it is God who calls. It is his approval that is needed. He entrusts leaders and teachers with his gospel. And as this is imparted, he will test their heart. Personal glory received and acted on is nothing but pride, arrogance, self-exaltation, and it leads to condemnation. Preaching and teaching for the glory of God and for the benefit of bringing people into the kingdom of heaven then and now until the end is that high calling from God. No one else. Now, true humility does not do violence to the gospel of God. It does not seek its own reward. It does not elevate or promote superiority. It does not cause contempt for the gospel. Humility is a work that God weaves into the very essence of his people, especially and in greater measure to those that lead and teach. Humility brings conviction, it brings him glory, not the other way around. Humility. Does not offend. Humility causes surrender to and obedience to the greatest commandment of all you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, having said that, how does humility work? what does the scope and depth of humility really look like? How do we heed the warning and judgment of the woe to you that Jesus spoke to and about the Pharisees and the scribes? Now, what I want to say, humility is certainly possible. But I also want to say, it is not necessarily a natural element of our human DNA. It is a work of God in us and is only accomplished as we acknowledge who we are in the light of who God is. Now, we already know and understand that pride, arrogance, superiority, big egos are the very opposite of humility. However, humility is not being shy, retiring, timid, or self-effacing. It is not being sheepish, reserved, introverted, insecure, self-conscious, or thinking that we have nothing to offer. Now, these are all words we might think of when we think of humility. However, what I want to say and remind you is that it is true that our Lord was humble, and none of these things describe him. What then naturally follows is that while some of these things that I've mentioned might be a natural expression in the working out of humility, they are not signs of being humble. Being humble, please hear this being humble is to know the immensity, the mightiness. The holiness of God. And then measuring yourself in the light of who he is. Fully realizing that we are to be like him. Doesn't he call us to that? And when we look at him and then we look at ourselves we need to acknowledge that we are definitely a work unfinished. I believe the scope of humility is to recognize that who we are, who we will be, comes as a work of God in us, to know that he thinks, he thinks we are of great value. He fashions us, forms us, molds us into his likeness as we surrender all of who we are, all of what we do into his hands and are obedient. Humility is something that we can strive for. It is something that we can surrender to. But it is not something we can work in ourselves Obedience is not easy. It means allowing him to purify our thoughts, transforming and renewing our minds. It means him softening our hearts so that our frame of reference for all things and for all people is not the reality that we live in, is not the reality that we see, but it is the reality of the kingdom of heaven here on earth and his presence within us now. I believe humility is God's work in us. And having said that, I also want to say, being humble does not change who God has made us to be. We can still be naturally shy, and introverted we can be naturally bold and extroverted and any place on the spectrum of those personality types but humility is not a character type the scope of humility encompasses knowing we are loved beyond measure and without condition And letting the love with which we are loved into our hearts, into our souls, and we are changed. Changed how? What I want to say is that we no longer allow our natural inclinations, our way of thinking to be the standard and rule on how we relate to God and especially how we respond to others, which means that in receiving the love that God pours into us, we begin to be different at our core. We begin to weigh our responses and actions and are not quick to jump to conclusions or make snap judgments or immediately react out of our human nature Even when it is difficult or seemingly impossible. When our standards are not met, we must know that we don't meet God's standards. And does He throw us away? Does He just walk away? Does He view us as a lost cause? Or does he love us all the more to, so that we can come closer to meeting his standards? Be ye perfect. Be ye holy. He looks at us and measures how much we love him by how much we love our neighbor. Now, in case you didn't get that, let me say that again. He looks at us, and he measures how much we love him by how much we love our neighbor. Think about that one. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you desire, truly desire, to see others become the best that they were created to be, even if it takes years? Or are you willing to walk away? Are you willing to throw away? Are you willing to make the judgment that they are a lost cause and not worth your time? Let me say, your witness and relationship to others must be submitted to prayer so that you are obedient to him and so that your life is a call to him. There's a lot that goes into what I just said. And I'm going to tell you, that's a whole nother sermon. So I can't go into detail because I'm sure you've got things flying through your mind right now saying, what does she mean by that? And how dare she say that? but just let it just let it sink in and then submit it to prayer submit it to scripture and you will know how to love your neighbor the scope of humility is to see through the eyes of Jesus there is not one that he is willing to lose he calls us to love as he does and that is done as we sacrifice our right to be right, to be God right. Obedience to the greatest commandment comes at a great cost. It comes at a great sacrifice. And it is not optional for any disciple. Now, having explored the scope of humility, let's consider the depth of humility. And again, I believe the depth of humility is woven into the very essence of our being. And as it is woven into our very essence, there is a definite and noticeable transformation within us. We know without doubt we are changed. There is a gentleness, a kindness, a goodness, a level of mercy that didn't used to be a part of us. And now it is. Now this may sound trite, but our hearts have been soaked and softened in holiness. And our spirits have been tamed into gentleness and mercy. A reality of each of our days is knowing our life is ours because Jesus sacrificed his. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We have hope and strength to meet the challenge of each day, no matter what it is. And when we fail, and we will fail, He is right there with us in that failure. He's loving us, He's inviting us to depend upon Him, He is inviting us to trust Him. Now, how could we think <clears throat> that we could do less with others? There is nothing about us to recommend us to God. We are not just so super, super special. We are not just so so lovable. We are not the smartest, smarter. We are not the prettiest, most beautiful. God God did have a choice in choosing us. And left to our own devices, we do deserve wrath. He chose us, and what he wants to give us is himself. And so what I want to say is to whom much is given, much is expected. The Lord gives himself. But God, and that is the depth of humility. But God desired me. But God desired you, each one of you. God loved me. He loved each and every one of you. He wanted me in relationship with him. And he wants you, all of you, in a quiet, intimate relationship with Him. He called and He received. And now He wants me to love. He wants me to put to death unseemly bad behavior. He wants me to put behind me pettiness, judgments, anger, unforgiveness, insecurities, He wants me to leave behind weaknesses, neglectfulness, vain thoughts, pride, ego, superiority. He works humility in us that I is not our favorite subject. We can think and act in careful consideration. We can. I know it's hard, but we can We can act with a moderate temper. We can be filled with compassion. We can be graceful. We can be loving and we can be gentle. We can act with goodness and patience and always, always be forgiving that he is being made known to those who are what we once were being humble does not negate strong good leadership it is not milk toast ineffectual narcissistic teaching that we hear so much today it is actually the opposite It requires strong and good leadership because it requires the leader, the pastor, the priest, the minister to bow down to God in humility, being convicted of who they are and who he wants them to be. It is teaching that impacts and invades your life. Look at Paul. Look at Jesus. Does he invade your life? The scope and depth of humility gets that the greatest commandment in such a sincere way that as John Newton says, I am persuaded that love and humility are the highest attainments in the school of Christ and the brightest evidences that he is indeed our master the pride and arrogance of the pharisees and scribes won them judgment and condemnation they exalted themselves they were blind to the person of christ and they became so envious they set out first to discredit him and then to destroy him they served themselves they did not serve God. But who is greatest among you shall be your servant, that he may weave into the essence of your being humility. So desire, so desire oneness with the Lord that your faith may adhere to him immovably, that your love may entwine around him tightly, that his spirit may pervade every fiber of your being, that he can weave into your essence, Humility that's been birthed in the labor of loving him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Then in so loving him, you will learn to love your neighbor. Humility opens hearts. Humility does not stand aloof or separate. Humility makes connections. In allowing yourself to be made humble, you will serve making him known that he may do for others what you know he has done for you. And he who humbles himself will be Exalted. Amen.